This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. I was sitting over across the street and uh, Susan, the administrative assistant, I think that's what she is, came in and said, I made you a tray of brinies. (laughs) (laughs) I think the word got out. (laughs) For this afternoon's tea, but I'll put them in the kitchen over there and you can have first dibs. A Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, said, you can't step in the same river twice. It's not the same river, and you're not the same person. That was uh, an unrepeatable moment. I think we are going to have brownies this afternoon. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it will seem similar. Maybe it will be completely different. Maybe between now and then, you'll forget. Maybe I'll eat them all. <laughs> My tendencies are more towards the austerity. I'd be very surprised if I eat any. Yesterday I was talking about this this strange paradox of practice that enjoyment and renunciation um, support each other. And that's, I was sitting there musing over that when Susan walked in with the tray of brownies. (laughs) And I was thinking, what came to mind was that quote from Heraclitus, you know, like, ah, if only if only those golden moments in our life were repeatable at will. If if only uh, somehow we could put that gold in a magic box and open it as we chose. Maybe it still delights us as a memory. What just popped into my head was a poem I was taught as a a child. Uh, And oft upon my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood. And what comes to mind in my inner, inner eye is that field of daffodils. Maybe. 
Maybe there'll be similar moments. And of course, then there are moments we hope will never be repeated. <laughs> Those two. But as we all know, uh, from the time of Shakyamuni, one of the principles of Buddhist practice is the middle way. And I would suggest to you, it's the nature of our life. It, it's the nature of um, appreciation, savoring, engaging the moment, enjoying the moment, joining the moment in joy. we accept that it's itself. We don't own it. And we participate in its creation. And in the sound of the motorcycle, dissipates. In the structure of Sashin, the structure of our practice is to keep inviting us back to this kind of experience. Uh, meet the moment just as it is. Experience the moment just as it is. And something in us is somewhat reluctant to meet the moment. We have so much unfinished business. But wait a minute, I have a lot of things to uh, worry about, resolve. Uh, and I still remember other golden moments that I want to have instead of this one. So coming to this moment, meeting this moment, and letting it go. And the realization is that meeting this moment entirely supports letting it go. When we thoroughly join it in joy, letting it go just It's not such an ordeal. It is a wonderful factor that cultivates within us. It's called shraddha. Trust, confidence, sometimes faith. But I think in the, in the Buddhist sense, not faith in something um, that's beyond our experience. But more like the faith you have that water quenches thirst after you've drunk a delicious glass of water when you're really thirsty. Then you have faith in water quenching thirst. So Shashin, 
whether we likes it or like it or not, puts us through moment after moment. Okay, now we stop doing that, and we're going to do this. Now we stop doing that, and we're going to do this other thing. And that concerned voice within you. Am I going to survive this? It's a good question, because in some way, uh, no, you're not, because you can't step into the same river twice, because it's not the same river and it's not the same you. Uh, but in the enjoy, in the deep appreciation, in the fullness of that experience, shraddha. A kind of trust is created. Uh, and it isn't created because we cleverly think so. In fact, most of the time, thinking just gets in the way. It's that it's like the experience speaks deeply to us touches us deeply, informs us deeply. Oh, this is the nature of life. And then as we continue with that, then we see, um, and yet, the persistence of karma the persistence of being the person I'm habituated to be. There's a strange Buddhist story where Mogulayana, uh, a famous murderer, apparently he had, uh, was practicing with some kind of shaman, and the shaman told him, uh, you have to kill a hundred people and cut off their little finger and save it. And so he got up to 99. And I don't know if the last one had to be the Buddha or that was just coincidence. But he came, he saw the Buddha and he thought, okay, number 100. And uh, he approached the Buddha consequence was that um, something in the fullness of that experience of meeting the Buddha changed him completely and he decided to become a monk. And, uh, but people remembered him as this savage, brutal, violent murderer and they threw stones at him, and they jeered at him, and they insulted him. And uh, Shakyamuni said to him, even though now you, you are living in such an utterly um, ethical way, in an utterly uh, way devoted to practice, residual karma.
even though now we're sitting here diligently, dedicatedly, you know, creating Sashin. I was just thinking of those of you who are not so familiar with this experience. What a heroic act to, um, what a daring act to take on something that you don't quite know what it is you're taking on. And I hope you're discovering um, some of the, some of the, um, ways it supports human life. In some ways, in our life, we're always taking on something. We don't quite know what it is, and we don't quite know how it's going to turn out. Most of the time, we fool ourselves. We can negotiate that into some manageable degree of predictability. There's something visceral about Sashin because it says to us, you're going to enter one of the fiercest unknown territories there is, and that's you. <laughs> and you're going to sit in the middle of it and you're going to stay there you know. and in this process in this alchemy you know, two things happen to us one is the seven factors of awakening and maybe it's foolish to even mention them, but that's what I seem to be doing. The mindfulness, the noticing, the investigation, the acknowledging, the persistence that blossoms into energy. Maria. And then almost despite ourselves, how that offers moments, experiences of enthusiasm and ease. So right along with that, we're we're initiating, we're immersing in, we're enabling within ourselves the paramitas, the discipline, the patience, the benevolence. As we get in touch with ourselves, we see how marvelous and how tender it is to be a human being. 
how marvelous that we can come here and say, yes, I will. Enter into the unknown that's going to ask me to give everything I've got. Yes, I will. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a certain amount of desperation in it. Well, everything else I'm, I've been trying doesn't seem to do it. <laughs> <laughs> when I try putting the golden moments in a box and saying, they're mine, stay away, I own them. Doesn't seem to work. I open the box and there's nothing in it. <laughs> I've pursued, I've energized my desires, I've pursued them. But they didn't create a fullness, they didn't create a completeness. And I've exercised my aversions, you know. But they didn't destroy what annoys me, what, what hurts me. They didn't provide the security I was hoping for. So maybe I'll try on this. This way of practicing that creates a fierce demand. Be here. Be nowhere else. Moment by moment by moment. So what you're not ready? So what it's not the circumstances under which you prefer to undertake this endeavor? Yes, I will. How can we not marvel at that capacity within us? How can we not trust it? I would suggest you, oh, that we bring that to all the parts of our life. That the moments where our desires and aversions reassert themselves become almost like a curiosity. Oh, and I'm still doing that. Hmm. That's still rattling around. And as these two intertwine, the incredible assertion, the nobility of spirit that moves forward in the stream of practice, and and this. Um, looking at the energies of our life simply put 
committing to what we want and committing to escaping from what we don't want. And how, as we work with them, something uh, marvelous appears. A benevolence for our own being, a benevolence for all being. But the first noble truth of dukkha, that searching for what you want and trying to destroy what you don't want, doesn't work. Desiring what you want and grasping at it. In one of the ways we generously support this human life is discovering to what it is to enjoy, to join in joy with what's happening. And that its twin sibling is renunciation. And then today, I have two other poems. And just for a change, one of them's a Zen poem. To my mind, they're all Zen poems, but this is a traditional <laughs> Chinese Zen poem. When Deng Shan awakened, um, he wrote this verse. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. Today, walking as this one, meeting this one with every step. This is just what is. This is just me. But I am not it. Only when you understand in this way will you merge with the way things are. Maybe to put those pivotal lines in there. It's more like, I am part of this rather than this is part of me. There is the world according to me and usually I say, well, this is just part of the world according to me. There's here, there's there. It's as if I exist in all sorts of different places. But actually, I'm part of this. This consciousness exists here, now. This moment is not something I can own and keep. You can't step in the same river twice. Perhaps we'll have brownies with tea today. But they won't be the brownies we had in the golden past. <laughs> Who knows how they'll be? 
the golden past. There's a marvelous little story in Buddhism where Mahakashapa, who was a cohort of Shakyamuni, when they, they practiced in the forest together all the austerities. And, uh, and then Shakyamuni became the Buddha and started a whole community. And Mahakashapa stayed in the forest. And, um, and then he came to visit the Buddha. It, by this time, Buddha had received several donations, and, and they were mendicants, but they received several places they could use as one of their bases when they were passing through. They were at one of the bases. By this time, the community of wandering mendicants had grown, maybe into hundreds, but at least dozens. Mahakashipa came to see the Buddha. And uh, there's several interesting features to it. One intriguing one, a little bit of an aside, but is that the monks told him, you know, because he looked so scruffy, that uh, they questioned whether he should be allowed in. <laughs> but he got in, and he was with the Buddha. And they were talking, and Mahakashapa was talking about the golden days when they were back in the forest and life was simple. And Mahakashapa says, I don't know about all this stuff now. And the Buddha said, Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe today's brownie will be better than the one before. <laughs> It'll take us to new exalted levels of awakening. <laughs> or maybe it won't. Maybe we'll think, you know, it's not like it used to be. I remember, take a brownie, you were awakened. <laughs> Nowadays, hmm, yeah, it's got chocolate, it's got sugar, but still. Uh, and in the midst of all that, Dongshan, in his awakening, brings it back to the essentials. Stay present. Don't look for the truth other than what's arising here. Because if you do that, it just gets further away. Today, walking alone, walking as just this one, I meet it with every step. There's no difference between inner and outer. They are enjoined in joy. I am part of it, but it's not part of me. Only when you understand this way, you 
enjoin with the way things are. Now just to uh, turn that upside down, look. Whoever grasps the 10,000 contradictions of their life pulls them together into a single image. That person, joyful and thankful, drives the rioters out of the palace, becomes celebratory in a different way, and presence is the guest who receives, who's received in the quiet evenings. Presence is in the solitude, the tranquil center of being yourself. And the circle that's drawn around presence lifts out of time, lifts the person out of time on those compass legs. And what I'm talking about, without talking about it, is the next factor of awakening, samadhi. That was the preamble to the talk. (laughs) (laughs) Samadhi is to... uh, joined together when you you look at the Sanskrit verbs of Sam and Ah and Di um, to join together or another way is to look at it the Sam is whole and the Di is consciousness to make consciousness whole to make each consciousness completely itself And these factors, uh, as, as we work with them, it's, it's like they prepare the ground, they prepare the consciousness, they prepare our habit energy. Yeah. They, they create the capacity to just be present. In another meaning of the word uh, samadhi can be continuous contact, okay? Aware of this moment, aware of this moment, aware of this moment, aware of this moment. And I suspect that each of us has tasted in the shishin. We've tasted the potency of that kind of experience. The Dalai Lama likened it to this. He said, when the wind blows, 
we can feel the energy of it. It's not, in essence, any different from the energy of a jet engine. But the jet engine has a potency to its energy. So usually, our consciousness is jumping all over the place. And we energize this, and then we energize that, and then we energize this. That's when we become to Zazen. We have all this unfinished business that we need to think and feel and imagine and worry about and dream about and desire and be angry about. And we sit down and we think, okay, finally, let's go through the list of things, the 10,000 things I have to resolve. See how many of them I can get done in the next 30 minutes. (laughs) And if we could keep our mind focused, that might be very helpful. (laughs) At least there would be the samadhi of working through your to-do list. (laughs) But actually our mind jumps around (laughs) in even those. But as we work on these factors, there's a kind of a stabilization. There's you know, as as we bring forth the factors of awakening, as we bring forth the factors of the paramitas, that we we can hold with some kind of patient benevolence the human process. That our desperation has been quieted to some degree and we've brought in some shraddha, some trust, confidence, faith. quiet sound of the rain in the mid-morning it's just itself it being the person we are at this moment it's just itself It's part of everything. That this self, this me, that has been so adamantly and determinedly um, intertwined with being alive, um, softens. Dogen Zenji says, we forget the self. in the moment, we just forget the 10,000 unresolved issues in our life. We just let fall away the anxieties, the dreads, 
the resentments, the fears, the sadnesses that are woven into them. And experience by experience, moment by moment, samadhi. And as Rokka says, it invites us out of time. And every circle that's drawn around presence lifts the person out of time. And then the karmic self barges back in. and rudely says, to hell with all that. I have things to worry about. <laughs> Get that list of things going again. There's got to be better than this. Let's have a daydream, you know. Oh, that thing I was worrying about, that's really important. Let's worry about that again. <laughs> Will there ever be another golden moment like that one I had before in the good old days? Um, patience, diligence, benevolence. Okay. As I said the other day, in every moment of acknowledging Maybe we should start it with, okay, I've resumed worrying. Okay, I'm feeling restless. Okay, there's a deep desire burning at me and I don't even know what it is I'm desiring. And can we enjoin with them? Can our practice be that resolute? Okay, now this experience. Okay, now this experience. And, and to the degree to which we've softened up our distress in our frustration with not getting what we want and getting what we don't want? Can we allow for the moment, just as it is? Can we give ourselves over to chanting the next sutra? Stand up and walk in here. Sit back down and attend to body and breath. Mm -hmm. 
communicate. Being the dramatic fool he was, says, and we drive the rioters out of the palace. When he was 20 years old, he walked around dressed all in black. Sounds kind of zen. But he carried a long stem rose with him. But he also said, everything is your practice. Don't turn anything away. So now you have the golden ring. In the golden overcast day, adding its own quietude, giving its own silver-gray light. A photographer told me once that silver-gray light tends to accentuate the greens, the color green. You're in a process below what your mind can figure out. It's probably not going to stop your mind from figuring it out. <laughs> or attempting to. But I would say to you, your body and your heart are soaking it up. And stubborn and opinionated as your mind is, it's taking it into. So please, this blend between enjoying the moment and recognizing you don't own it. You can't package it in a box. Thank you. <laughs>